Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary. We're a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. <laughs> I'm back to that part of our lives where I forget which name I'm supposed to say. <laughs> As I focus so hard on saying Buffy and Angel, and then I'm like, wait, who am I? <laughs> One day I'm going to be like, and uh, I'm Buffy. <laughs> exactly. I've come really close to saying that before. Hello, we're recording on a weeknight after work, so that's probably part of why I'm so mixed up right now. This is going to be interesting. It is, because I'm late. I'm I'm late. It's late <laughs> for me. Oh, God, this is off to a great start. <laughs> I'm, like, still sweating profusely because I basically, like, ran home, so. Oh, God. Well, okay, my quick story is that I had a pretty bad day. Well, I don't know. Today was, like acceptable in terms of a work day, but I found out at the end of the day that like one of my projects is like in a crisis. So, and I have to deal with it tomorrow. So it's like, it's just stress, you know, it's just like stressful to come home and be like, well, I just know ahead of time that tomorrow's going to really suck and I can't do anything about it today. Or maybe I could have, but not because we're recording this yeah. episode. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, I, even if I could brought home work home with me tonight, it wouldn't have gotten me that much farther ahead of where I need to be tomorrow. So it just is like frustrating. But I was like sitting on my couch <laughs> watching Buffy and Angel after work <laughs> and like just being kind of stressed out and I'm still cat sitting and Ollie, the cat that I'm watching, finally like came and sat next to me and cuddled with me. It was the cutest thing that's ever happened to me. <clears throat> He sat next to me and he started purring and he started kneading and then he just purred for like 15 or 20 minutes. It was adorable. And then I was really worried because I was like, oh, he's going to be so mad when I have to get up to go record this podcast. But he got up like two minutes before I needed to get up. It was like really a blessed evening. It's because you stopped tricking him with your drying rack. <laughs> yeah. So now he's decided to be nice to you uh, so because funny. you haven't set false traps for him. <laughs> I did not set a trap for him. I didn't talk about that on the, that was between our recordings, right? Right. But I saw it online. So. Oh, okay. Oh, I know. I just want to explain to everybody what happened oh, so no, that they, they don't know need what you're talking know. about. No, but it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also this cat, I, I think a lot of cats are like this. He wants to jump on it. Like he sees every surface as a challenge of something that he can jump on and then sit on. Right. <clears throat> and we had our drying rack for our clothes out the other day. <laughs> We've had it out before with him and he's successfully like, it used to be closer to something so that he could just really easily climb onto it. Did I not tell the story on the podcast? I don't think so. I don't know. My life is a blur. I feel like this only happened yesterday. Um, anyway, he tried to... Instead of crawling on it now, it I was set up at a place where, like, the only way he'd get to it is if he jumped on it. And uh, <laughs> he <laughs> jumped onto a part that had a shirt draped over it, so he thought it was a, a surface. And it was not a surface, so he just <laughs> fell through the rungs. <laughs> I did feel bad. He seemed totally fine. But also, like, I've shoot him off of that drying rack uh, several times already. Like, I don't know what you expected to happen. <laughs> Well, now he I mean, I do know what he expected to happen, but he, he, I think he did. <laughs> oh, I didn't see him see it, see him like prepping quickly enough to like early enough that I could intervene. I was like across the room and I just, <laughs> oh, cats. I would have just sat down and been like, let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I would have tried to stop him if I could have, but I just caught him in midair from across nice. the room. Too nice. Hmm. How will they learn? Well, 
he's not my cat. I can't really discipline someone else's cat. You know what I mean? Well, it's not like if he's going to tell them. <laughs> no, but I don't want him to get injured <laughs> while he's under my watch. I guess that's a good point, actually. Yeah. You don't want to have to go to, like, the emergency vet or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's for animal owners to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I can already hear that I'm still <laughs> coughing. Great. <laughs> yay. So, excuse me. I mean, not not like yay. That was sarcastic. I hope oh, that came through. It I did. I've been having weird issues with tone this week. Like, I've been talking <laughs> to people at work, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why that came out sounding accusatory. That's not what I meant at all. <laughs> or like, no, I, read I the- said something like the other day, I was like, and how's everybody doing? And then I like stopped myself and I was like, let me, let me say that again with feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't sound like it, you know, God, it's just sometimes you just like don't think and like, I don't know. Um, I heard the sarcasm in that one. So it could be that I just know you well, but I think it was obvious that you're not wishing that I'm sick. At a minimum, you're not wishing that I cough throughout this episode so that you have less editing to do. Definitely, definitely wishing the opposite of that. So, <clears throat> yeah. But apologies ahead of time to everybody if you have to hear some of my coughs. They mostly happen when I'm talking, so <laughs> it's going to be hard to <laughs> to clip them out. So, I'll just talk and you just go mhm mhm. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh this week we're talking Out of My Mind mm-hmm. on Buffy and <laughs> Untouched on Angel. And I believe last week I said this was going to be the episode where we meet Glory, and it is not. <laughs> oh, no, you're right. Yeah. I believed you when you said it that, It sounded too. like it made sense, yeah. right? Because, well, in a way we met Glory. <laughs> sort of. Because this is the episode where we met Ben. True. Okay. Then I, I stand correct. I'm sorry. What I really wanted you to do was say, wait, Ben's... <laughs> I wanted you to do the thing. <laughs> Wait, Ben's what? <laughs> oh, the thing they always do? Yeah, when they find out at the end and they can't like... Again, I don't, why do I get so weird about spoilers when we're constantly spoiling things? But for things that are like only a few episodes away, it feels like I shouldn't say anything. You're trying to like goad me into spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of spoilers, uh, yes. I know we want to <clears> get into the actual um, episode recap, but I do want to talk about Spike watching Dawson's Creek. And oh my god, yeah. Saying that she oh, you doesn't spoil love Dawson's you, Casey, Creek? and like, spoiler alert, yeah. she what totally does. <laughs> Wait, who spoiled that one for me? Me. You? I think you spoiled Dawson's me. Creek for me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that you had never seen all of it, and I definitely spoiled it for you. You did. I was really mad about it. You well, were, not like, really weirdly, mad, like, I also, first of all, didn't mean to do it, and then two, your reaction was, like, beyond what I would have thought you would ever react about Dawson's Creek. <laughs> I, just, Don, I don't have a particular attachment to Dawson's Creek, but I I don't know why I cared about that. You were really mad about at that me. particular one. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I mean, you had no way of knowing, which is fair. And I, I said it I like just in this quickly. offhand way, like, like, you did. oh, like, you I know, know, like everybody in the room knows. And you were like, wait, what? <laughs> I think that at that point I had been like, you know, that was sometime between like being home in during the summer when you're a kid and you just watch summer reruns and Netflix streaming being a thing. So I think like I had seen a lot of it one summer <clears throat> But not all of it. And it was like annoying because at the time 
you that was kind of that was it like if you didn't catch it on reruns you couldn't watch it like there weren't even really dvd box sets at that point right and so although i, I think, think that probably was the time when it was still airing at 10 and 11 a.m on tbs but not when i was a college student and like couldn't right yeah. if you no, were home saying, at that time whatever the summer it. opportunity that i had to watch it i didn't manage to catch all of it i saw a lot of it but i had a summer job that like interfered with my dawson's creek schedule. i'd watch this is now it's all coming back to me i used to have to i don't what job was i working i don't know i just would watch i would have time to watch one full episode and then like the first 10 minutes of an episode it must have been on early in the morning or something and then so i would see like oh, every other episode and then like a few bits and pieces but I still didn't make it through the whole show anyway. So I just had it in my head somehow as like a thing that I was going to one day, probably by the time we were in college, I was considering like renting the box, the DVDs or something, but I just hadn't gotten around to it. I, I have now seen all of Dawson's Creek, so <laughs> we can all speak freely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry for anybody else. I'm spoiling. Yeah, yeah, except for whoever else you just spoiled that for. <laughs> But she does love you, Pacey. I guess I just won't say who the she is. But so so anyway, That's I fair. I was curious what episodes Spike could could theoretically be have watching. been watching. And so the season yeah. that aired concurrently with this one, that wouldn't really make sense because Pacey already knew that she loved him. But if he were watching reruns, then yeah. it's possible Which he probably was. Right. That he was watching season three of Dawson's Creek, which as we all know is the story of Joey and Pacey. So Mm -hmm. I guess it makes Mm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I I had a good giggle at that. As did I. (laughs) Well, let's talk about Out of My Mind. Yeah. The episode Um, where Spike watches Dawson's Creek. Yes. So I have to say, I mean, both of these episodes were, I feel like, pretty plot heavy. You know, I feel like we've had a couple where it's like nothing really happened, but there was a lot of character growth. These ones, I feel like, were kind of the opposite, where it's like a lot of the things that they've sort of been hinting at now are not coming to a head exactly, but like coming to the forefront a little bit more. So um, this episode starts out and we see Buffy and Willow (coughs) at at UC Sunnydale, like having a collegiate debate. So it's kind of clear that they've started school again and that Buffy is is now maybe for the first time in her academic career, like really succeeding or at least getting really engaged with her coursework, which is nice to see. And on the flip side, we see that she's also taking her Slayer training really seriously. And that continues to be like a growing part of her life and of her time obligations. So after school, she goes to the magic shop where she finds out that Giles and Xander have set up like a beautiful training room for her in the, maybe the basement or the back room or something. Um, And yeah, um, meanwhile, while she's out patrolling, uh, she's interrupted not just by Riley, but also by Spike, who both sort of thwart her efforts to kill a vampire. I guess they don't thwart her so much as just steal her thunder a little bit. And she seems oddly equally annoyed at both of them. Um, so yeah, as this, con- as this episode goes on, as I said, there's just a lot happening. Harmony comes back. Uh, she tries to seek refuge with Spike, claiming that she's now Buffy's arch nemesis. And so Buffy's definitely after her. Obviously, Buffy could give (laughs) two hoots about Harmony and is not at all paying attention to her. But while Harmony, (coughs) excuse me, and Spike team up, uh, Spike decides that now's the time for him to get the chip out of his head. So Harmony helps him in his mission to like hijack a doctor to make that happen. Um, Meanwhile, Joyce and um, Don are having breakfast one morning and Joyce out of nowhere, like faints and passes out. Um, So she has to go to the hospital. 
the doc we meet a, a new doctor or a doctor named Ben who seems pretty ch- friendly and like chummy with um Buffy and Don but while they're at the hospital Don is playing with his stethoscope and also finds out that Riley's heartbeat is like excessively fast so they check Riley into the hospital too and we basically uncover that because of all of the lab or lab drug experiments that the initiative had been doing on him his body is just not functioning correctly he's still operating as though he's been like his body is still acting as though he's being pumped up on drugs, but it's not quite there yet. And also since he's a human and not a superhuman like Buffy is, his body just can't handle it. So Buffy has to try and convince him to seek medical attention. And he, for some (laughs) questionable reasons, doesn't really want to do that. So basically she is able to somehow contact not exactly the initiative, but maybe, I don't know if it's whatever's left or just some other military branch, and they provide a doctor. It's the same doctor that Spike later hijacks to try and take out his chip. And Buffy and Riley kind of have this big showdown where, you know, we saw in the last episode, Riley <clears throat> confesses that he doesn't think Buffy loves him. And here he kind of he doesn't exactly say those words to her, but he more or less calls her out or says that he doesn't think she'll love him if he's not superhuman. And that's part of the reason that he doesn't want to get whatever is wrong with him fixed. But of course he relents at the end. Spike isn't successful in getting the chip out because the doctor, I, well, I've got some questions about what the doctor did, but he doesn't remove the chip, but they do fix Riley. And at the end of it, um, Graham is one of the people from the military that has come to help Riley. And he pretty much tells him like, why are you staying here? We still have a place for you and there's nothing for you, for you here. So basically we see a continuation of what Riley said at the end of the last episode where he says, Buffy doesn't love me, but maybe we realize it's more like there might be proof that Buffy doesn't love him. But at this point, it seems like it's more like Riley just assuming she couldn't love him because right. of reasons. Right. Um, I'm sorry. Before we go any further, I forgot what is clearly the most important part of this episode. <laughs> After all this showdown. Oh, go oh on, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> um, we see Spike fuming about Buffy's interference with his life once again and he storms off and then we later see Buffy arrive at his crypt and they start passionately making out while still kind of angry at each other and then of course at this point Spike wakes up and it's just a super hot dream that he was having about Buffy but that's actually how the episode ends with Spike realizing that perhaps his hatred of Buffy has morphed into something a different kind of obsession (laughs) sorry I can't believe I forgot about that that's the whole reason I did this summary (laughs) Because as we learned in the great Netflix rom-com step, wait, set it up, that, I almost said step up, (laughs) set it up, (laughs) the opposite of love is actually indifference. And that's true. I I believe that. Yeah. I did watch that movie, by the way. We can talk about it at the end of the show. Yay. Uh, But relevant to Buffy, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So, okay. Back to, back to Buffy and Riley. I mean, it's. It's frustrating. <laughs> I'm, uh, I don't really know what to make of this because I don't feel like Riley's being so unlikable in this that I couldn't possibly get back behind him. But he is definitely, you know, he's letting his insecurities just fly out in a really immature way. You know, this is sort of the behavior that I've come to expect of Buffy, but not of Riley, where like he is feeling insecure. And instead of just having a conversation with Buffy about it, he almost kills himself to make a point about it before he even admits it. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's not entirely unrelatable, I don't think, but it is aggravating. 
Yeah, like as much as Buffy might actually be pulling away in some way because she I mean, is and, focusing on and her she, studies she and is. her slayer I would say, things. Yeah. And she, sorry, she what? I guess I would say, sorry, that was the other point that I meant to make. I guess that's what makes it so frustrating is that we see clear evidence of her pulling away in this episode at the same time. So it's like, it's not like he's saying this stuff out of nowhere, even if she won't, doesn't know that. Right, like maybe Buffy isn't ready to admit it to herself or acknowledge it, right. but... I also think that the way he's treating her in his... Like, they haven't even talked about this, and he's just assuming things exactly. about her that are extremely unfair. And I think, you know, Buffy is really right to call Riley out about this because he's basically being an ass over something that isn't a certainty, right? Like, he's assuming yeah. that Buffy would just not be interested in him if he didn't have super strength or an ability to keep up with the group or, you know she doesn't really love him because he's not different or special angel, or yeah. angel. Right. And that's the unsaid thing at the end of this is like, really what he's worried about is that she doesn't love him because she, mm-hmm. he's not, he can't compare to angel or whatever. And Buffy's right in that, you know, in all the time they've been together, that's a really unfair thing to put on her because she's really actually made it clear that that's not what she wants and that what she wants is I, what he is. You yeah. Know, something stable and nice and like, someone she's obviously very attracted to and like mm-hmm. loves being with but whether that means she's still in love with him I don't know if Buffy even and it might not even be as simple I as guess, that it might be like Buffy has to decide which one she loves more like is she more interested in maintaining and building a relationship with Riley or is she more interested in d- digging into her slayer side and focusing on that and like that's a fair I guess thing that's a to good have question to consider, though right like career versus a relationship like sometimes it's you can't easily fit both into your life right if we're calling I, I be her being a slayer true, career <laughs> which it's i think more of a calling could, but yeah i guess it's more so that i'm not sure i'm not convinced that is the reason that things are falling apart between them so i guess that's another like why this is so puzzling is because i don't i do believe i guess i believe that buffy believes what she's saying I'm not convinced that ultimately him being normal wouldn't break them apart eventually. However, I don't think that's what's causing any issues for them right now. I feel like what, yeah, I do feel like what's causing issues is the fact that I guess you're right, that she wants to spend more time being a slayer and doing that stuff on her own. And he keeps kind of interrupting her because he's trying to prove a point. Right. Now, do you think though that, so what's interesting is she says all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. That I can't believe you would think this of me. Like, you know, you have no idea what you mean to me. Although she never really ever finishes her sentence. So that's a little bit frustrating. Mm-hmm. But at the same yeah. time, she gives him this speech. And then it's it's great. It's like, wow, Buffy, like really putting Riley in his place. And like, you know, mm-hmm. he feels, you know, kind of like ashamed of that he was even thinking of this of you. But like he literally has open heart surgery. She gives him this speech. And then it gets a little bit undermined by the fact that she's immediately like, okay, well, I got to go by. And like, okay, the reason is really good. Like she wants to go check on her mom, who's also been yeah. having medical issues. But you can kind of see on Riley's face, it's a little bit like, and there it is, right? Yeah. But I guess that's what I'm saying is it's like, it's frustrating because they do, I think that the truth is that they're just growing apart. And as much as Riley loves her, I think they're not totally a right fit for each other, you know, in the long run. But I do think that the the things that he's insecure about are, I think, a factor. So I guess that's where it's like, again, it's frustrating because he can't really claim the moral upper hand because he's behaving so childishly. <laughs> but I think that everything he says is right. 
uh, I think most of what he says is right. I don't think that Buffy cognitively would dismiss him because he's not a superhero, but I do feel like there is an inherent mismatch in like, as there was with, with Angel, you know, when someone's going to live forever and you're not, it doesn't matter how much you love each other. And I think that there is that part of that plays into their relationship here too, right? Where it's like, it kind of doesn't matter how much she loves him. Her life is always going to be so different from his that it just, maybe it won't ever work. Oh, or maybe I'm just being skewed by the show, right? I don't know. No, I, I get what you're saying. Like, it's kind of the opposite of like the thing that Buffy and Angel had where the issue there is like he's going to live forever and she's not whereas here it's a little bit where Buffy's the kind of like like she's certainly probably not going to live forever but her life is a little bit more than Riley's and it always will be I see it's hard to know because it's really hard to know based on the evidence what the show is trying to say about it because it's like they start out with this really nuanced portrayal of a relationship naturally kind of pulling apart and then they Mm -hmm. have to like turn around and turn Riley into like an outright idiot and villain in the the process and so I kind of lose sight of what we're supposed to think and at this point I feel like I'm losing sight of that too right at this point I'd be ready to set myself up for a you know a a few episode arc of like how their relationship just naturally falls apart but the show doesn't Mm -hmm. kind of let it go that way I guess what is driving Buffy away more than anything is how hard Riley's trying so I guess that right. is what it is, right? I mean, there I is think, that element yes, of, like, he's holding on too tightly. He And he is. You know, the fact that he shows up during her slaying when she hasn't asked him to be there, I, I can understand her being annoyed at that because I think any person who wants to do a task on their own can be can understand how frustrating it can be to be interrupted. You know, even if he is ultimately a boon to her, it, it's annoying. And Or I guess, again, what's the most annoying about it is that he's not taking her consider her feelings into consideration. So... I guess that more than anything is what's actually driving driving her away. But I do feel having the initiative in the last season was sort of a leveling, sort of leveled them. He wasn't super. Yeah, he had these like drugs that were making him physically stronger. But maybe it was more about the fact that like he came with backup and weapons previously, whereas now he kind of is just a guy who's at at risk. You know, he maybe she doesn't need another Xander who is just someone that she has to worry about. Do you think it would be different if you were still in the military? Or, you know, if the, if the initiative weren't what it turned out to be and he was just someone who could be a real asset? Doesn't matter that he's not superhuman if he's Batman. Probably not. Maybe. And maybe it's not so much that he needs to be Batman or someone, like, extra special. He just needs to right, have just, his own reason for being there. Exactly. Yeah, and I guess right that's now, what I'm trying Forrest to say. And right now, as Forrest says, or not, sorry, not Forrest, mm. well, <laughs> as Graham <laughs> says at the end of this, Riley's hanging on to someone else's mission. Like, you know, yeah. just yeah. because you want to be with the girl isn't the reason you should be here. I guess I was struck by that, too, because it's a really harsh thing for Graham to say. But it's not wrong. Well, it doesn't have to be wrong. That's the opposite of what I want to say. It, he's right about what he's saying now, but it doesn't have to be that way. I guess that's also part of it, right? I mean, like, ultimately, as the show is written, it's all of Riley's insecurities that are going to drive them apart. But if he could understand, if, I think if he could pitch himself as more of an asset, you know, Buffy keeps all of her friends around, even though they're not necessarily superhuman. So it's not as though there's no place for him. You know, like, we're going to see Tara grow into a role in the group. So I think it is the fact that he feels... It's just that he feels like this isn't his mission anymore. So he's become a sidekick instead of like just agreeing that he could like fighting demons could still be his thing. And maybe that's the point of what Graham says is not necessarily that there can never be a role for you here. It's just that 
you know, Graham knows Riley really well. Like, Riley That's was true. his commander. Like, he served with, you know, he was, like, in battle with him, essentially. Like, he would have a good read on his character. And maybe Graham understands in a way that Riley doesn't is that he's never going to be able to find a role there because unless he's the leader, it's not enough for him. Like, we've seen right, Riley right, in a position right. That's a good of point. being team leader, in control, and now he has to go, and essentially the best he can hope for is to be Buffy's sidekick, mm-hmm. and now he can't even really do that because he's not going to have the, the strength or the power to do it. And Riley is someone that, you know, he does seem like he's a natural leader and, like, he actually also yeah. likes that role. And, you know, as much as he might be impressed with Buffy's abilities and her place as the Slayer, I don't think he's ever going to be okay with, like, being that's, second yeah. to her. I think that's a really good point. I think you hit the nail on the head for what's actually going wrong here. And maybe, again, not to tell show people how they should have done their jobs. Obviously, it's easier being not the ones actually writing it, but maybe that's what they should have leaned into. And it's not even then about him disrespecting her. You know, it's not so much of a personal attack on Buffy. And it, I don't I don't believe that it has anything to do with the fact that she's a woman and that he's a guy from, for Riley, from Riley's perspective. No, but I no. do feel like you're right that he... It's not that he doesn't want... It's not that he doesn't want her to be doing her own thing, but he doesn't have, he doesn't, you're right. He's just not the leader of anything himself. And it's going to always be, yeah, he can't be the sidekick. That's just not his because personality. Because we see Riley, not to, well, whatever, spoilers, whatever. We see Riley eventually yeah. in a role where he's yes. not a solo leader. He's working in a right. team and that's enough for him, but he's still contributing and doing something. And, you know, his, his impact is important. But yeah, that's not going to be the case in Sunnydale. And yeah, and I think but I think the way he's processing that at this point is like he's naturally getting pushed to the side because he's no longer an asset to Buffy and Buffy might not be doing it on purpose. But as she focuses more on the Slayer stuff, he's going to fall more by the wayside. And he's interpreting that as Buffy doesn't love me. And it might be more she doesn't love me enough to make me number one. Right. But. Yeah, I don't and think, then, and I, then, but uh, and you know what? I want to be fair to the show because yeah. it's entirely possible they would have gone with this approach, and the network was like, "Give us drama," you know? Yeah, like, that's I, a good point. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that's that's a good point. I'm gonna choose to but, believe, blame the network. Yeah, because again, as much as this this episode is frustrating me more in the sense that I know where it's going than in the sense mm-hmm. that this particular episode was poorly wrought. I think this one was pretty nuanced. I mean, again, Riley, Riley is being stupid to risk his own life to prove a stupid point. But other than that, I think the issues that they're having and insecurities feeling are something that they do need to talk about. And if this is how it has to come out, so be it. You know, I, I guess I am a little bit frustrated with the speech that Buffy gives because to your point, I don't know if it's because I mean, if it's just poor writing or if it's because Buffy's not super eloquent, but like she does kind of give what's supposed to be a touching monologue. And I did feel sort of like you did, like she all but says, I love you and I need you here. You know what I mean? So there is kind of something frustrating about her reaction that's not reassuring enough. Yeah, like she can't even really bring herself to say the words that she's trying to profess like to him. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a little bit of a sign, but I would I would believe that if it weren't just the way Buffy talks. Right. And again, I think it has more to do with like also she's just in this really confusing time in her life and she doesn't know why it doesn't feel right right now. Right. Which I think is fair. You know, it, it, I, I don't know that I would have enough <laughs> self-awareness and like under, understanding of other people to, to really understand that like, oh, Riley's frustrated because he doesn't the leader of a team anymore and he's taking that out by trying to hijack my missions. You know, 
Yeah. Because they don't have that conversation. Like they don't come to, I guess what I'm saying is that they don't actually identify the issues other than her saying you're feeling insecure and you need to not feel insecure. But like, that's not helpful. You know, that that's not a thing that they can fix going forward. You can't really help how you're feeling. Ugh, they just need a couple's therapist. <laughs> Seriously, but I mean... Or what, personal therapists. <laughs> what 20-year-olds are going to couple's therapy, you know, so... True. But no, I mean, like, in, they they resolve it for as far as the episode is concerned, where, you know, Riley gets <clears throat> his heart surgery and everything seems to be okay, but as mm-hmm. we see it, you know, this will be ongoing. It's not, um, yeah. Also, Riley is, like, immediately Oof. up and walking after heart surgery. I... Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm choosing <laughs> to believe there's point. some leftover drugs in his system because... That's a little bit ludicrous. He did look worn down, if that makes you feel better. Yeah, but he, like, I I don't know what they did to him, but it seems like it was, like, some kind of, like, open-heart surgery. So Mm -hmm. he would be, like, unconscious. Like, I don't know. Local anesthetic, (laughs) Allie. That's the way that doctor operates. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So... Kind of like I said, I mean, there's a ton going on in this episode. We just talked forever about Buffy and Riley, but there's also all the Spike and Harmony stuff, all the Spike and Buffy stuff, and the Joyce stuff. Harmony is thrown in. The MVP of this episode. Like, oh my God. First of all, let's just talk about how this episode is so funny. It is. Yeah, you're right. I I mean, mean, there's the aforementioned Dawson's Creek, which is also, if they haven't said it yet, Spike watches a lot of soap operas. They must have said that by now, right? Well, he watched Passions, so. Right. So it's fitting to me that he would watch Dawson's Creek. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, Harmony running from Buffy because she's her arch nemesis, trying to smoke to look cool, but just coughing instead. (laughs) Although I'm not sure that makes sense because don't they not? Uh, This is a question I had. How do vampires smoke? (laughs) Don't know, but fine. I mean, I think we've asked this before. I'm not going (laughs) to. I, okay. What? Sorry. Do you want to tell me about more funny things in this episode? No, it's okay. Okay. I just wanted to mention that I found this episode, and actually this season so far as a whole, extremely That's funny. That's true. Yeah, I agree with that. I have another important question, and I actually meant to point this out last week. Is Spike, does Spike wear nail polish, or are his fingers supposed to be, like, dead or dirty? <laughs> dirty. The camera never quite lingers on them long enough, and it's not, like, opaque enough for me to be like, yes, he's painted his nails, versus, like, oh, it's just a feature of a vampire? It looked I don't know, like- I can't tell sharpie like that he had just kind of drawn on his nails and it then does like look scratched like that. through it or something yeah I'm, I'm willing to bet that's just like a character choice that um james, james marsters made. made i agree like, with that yeah it looks right but i just like again I like was stopping spike stopping is, to think about the like what is spike doing in his free time but okay I think about what we know about spike like he <laughs> he cares has a lot ideas of like how he should like behave and look and I would think he's definitely trying to rock this like punk kind of aesthetic and like I could totally um, see I'm sorry him. the punk aesthetic that he started uh right but I could see <laughs> the Billy him, like, Idol look that he created <laughs> right but I could see him painting his nails to like continue that I agree like I guess that's why I pointed out because it, it doesn't feel wrong it feels like something he would do He's also bleaching his hair. That's a good point. They, they don't right. okay, so outright ever say that and Spike the vampire has to continuously uh, bleach his hair, but like... No, they do. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't they like do continuously have to, but he did it at one time. No, he does have to do it because in season seven, we yes. see him without it for a while and right. then he comes back with bleached hair. So right. yes, he is unequivocally dyeing his hair. Which how a dead guy grows hair, I don't know, but that's... Me neither. <laughs> that's a lot of... Weird things about vampire biology. (laughs) 
Where's Adam? Can he dissect one and I tell know, us what's right? going can, on? Can Adam give us a lowdown on all of this? I feel like he could just push a button on his chest <clears> and tell us the answer. Was there more about Spike and Harmony that you wanted to cover? or? Um, yeah, okay. I guess not really more about them. I mean, I love seeing them team up together. I love watching Harmony be ever so slightly incompetent, but very confident and like interesting. She's oh, hilarious, I- always. <laughs> My favorite exchange mm-hmm. with them might have been when Spike was trying to imply that yeah. Harmony had to have <laughs> yeah. sex with him in order for him to help her. And she yes. like just did not get what he was saying. And then he basically <laughs> just like says it. And she's like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I guess it's just like, yeah, I appreciate that side of her personality. That's like, that's just not an important thing to her. So like, sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious I, I think I never really thought about this that hard before, but okay. So they do successfully kidnap the doctor who's supposed to operate on Riley and get him to do some sort of operation on Spike's brain to remove, ostensibly to remove the chip. But we find out at the end of the episode that the doctor swindled him and didn't take it out. The doctor in that moment says something to the effect of like, I told you I can't do it. Did he literally mean he doesn't have the skills or was he being brave and taking one for the team? No, I think he literally meant I can't, I can't like I can't do this technically actually accomplish this okay and I think he thought he would like that was the whole thing with the penny he would sew spike back up and then get out of town before he noticed either they would leave and they Mm -hmm. wouldn't know but then at the end of the day it also wouldn't matter because if spike tried to attack him then he would you know well he would probably hopefully be so surprised by the pain that it would give the doctor time to run is my assumption because that's basically what happens I guess I had just all this time been giving that guy credit for being, like, brave. (laughs) And I think I realized this time that, like, oh, he just literally couldn't do it. Well, I think it's brave to try to trick them. But also, I think he can't actually do it. Um, The actual funniest thing that Harmony says in this episode as we're discussing this scene is when the doctor tells her she can't smoke in there. She's like, yeah, says who? And then he points to the side and she's, like, immediately apologetic. (laughs) That was actually the thing I laughed the hardest at. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. <laughs> uh, like she's being all menacing about everything else mm-hmm. and then like a sign on the wall. And she's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> she's happy to put on this bravado to like try and intimidate someone, but she's like still c- civil. <laughs> yeah. So we see in this episode, obviously Joyce has some sort of fainting spell and, you know, it's chalked up in this episode to like dehydration or something like they can't really find anything wrong. But we know having watched this we before, know. that this yeah. is headed somewhere. But I think the most interesting thing from this storyline, other than to introduce us to Dr. Ben, is mm-hmm. we see Joyce look at Dawn and say, who are you? And Right, for a that, brief moment, yeah. Yeah, and that is kind of the first indication from the show that mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. it's not as simple that, well, except from the guy who yes. went up to Don and was like, you don't belong here. But I mean, from like one of the characters on right. the show of like some kind of recognition that something is not right. Has changed. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it takes Joyce, you know, having some sort of medical emergency for that to occur. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So it doesn't really explain what's going on, but it definitely hints that, yeah, you we're not trying to pull a fast one on all of you viewers. Something has changed. Yeah. <laughs> I actually also really liked this. I mean, again, they're doing all kinds of things. With, I think this episode, even more than the last few, has like really like they are writing Dawn like she's six. <laughs> like she's going through cereal boxes to look for prizes. Like, I'm sorry, a 14 year old girl does not do that. And, and then even she's like, like, I want eggs. <laughs> yeah. And even Ben, like giving her a stethoscope to play with. Like, I feel like she is old enough to have 
just, I, I mean, I appreciate that he's trying to distract her, but the fact that she's like actually kind of easily distracted by it is, I just didn't buy it. That said, I really liked that scene where Don starts listening to people's heartbeats while Ben is like giving Buffy the rundown on what's been going on. And you just kind of hear their conversation muffled. I don't know. Something about that felt like it created a nice sense of like, um, oh my God, what's the word for, you, you know, like not having an out of body experience a little bit, but or like her feeling a little bit disconnected because of the like shock of like being in the hospital with your mom. I don't know. I think I'm over, re- I'm reading into it more than is actually there, but I still thought that that scene came across very well. Not to mention it's the scene that we hear normal heartbeat, normal heartbeat, and then Riley's heartbeat. That's like a hummingbird, you know? So it's serves a plot device, but I also just thought it created a nice set of scene. Did you notice that scene at all? Or is that just a thing that I was like stuck on? Yeah, no, I would say that's, that's a good read of that. Going back even further in the episode, I, they're really going out of their way to like (laughs) the very, you know, one of the very first scenes is Buffy and Willow walking around. You see Sunnydale having this like very sophisticated conversation about like the French revolution or whatever. Right. And Willow being excited that like Buffy's taking her classes seriously and that they're learning so much. And it's like, in retrospect, so clear, right. That's also the thing that TV shows love to do is be like, look at how well this thing is going. We're about to crap all over it. (laughs) You know, it's like, they didn't really linger on that, but I was like, Oh, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I also really like Buffy's training room. And actually, when I was giving my summary, I said that Xander and Giles did it. I'm not sure if Riley was involved or not. Do you think he was? He was in it when she got there, but I don't... Well, he was already in in it, so I would assume he knew about it, but I don't know if he Mm -hmm. was involved in building it. And Xander, in general, is there, like, doing construction work for Giles, which is nice to see. Right. We keep seeing hints that Xander might actually be good at his job. Like, he gets a promotion yeah. in the last episode, and in this one, he's kind of explaining to Giles how he's just kind of naturally good at carpentry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's nice. Um, we also get a charming discussion in the magic shop between um, Willow and <laughs> Giles about mute <gasps> eyes versus salamander eyes. I really liked that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's, I think that's about what I have to say. I, th- I feel like this episode successfully covered a lot of ground, brought a lot of things that they've been kind of setting up. Not like I said, it's not like everything came to a head and is somehow concluded, but I feel like this really moved things forward on all counts. Like we see that Buffy and Giles are continuing their training and that it's having a really big effect on Buffy. I think that that's even something that's contributing to her like engagement with her college classes, right? Is that she's like found this path in to enjoying studying and working in this way that she never really had before. Right. Because also it's really clear that her newfound interest in history, which has right, you right. Know, previously been her worst subject, right. is she's starting to think about the implications of possible vampire activity right, in right, history, right. <laughs> which I don't think that that's an accident of like, maybe they were studying the French Revolution in you know their classes, but maybe she was also studying that time period mm-hmm. in her like Slayer Chronicles right, or right. whatever Giles has her reading. Sure. So I don't think that that's an accident. Yeah. Maybe they should have tried that in high school. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, well. Let's chat some. Oh, sorry, again. Sorry, again. I'm (laughs) skipping yet again over what what some might say is the most important thing to happen in this episode. Just kidding. I think I've obviously blocked it out. (laughs) I also wouldn't say that. But I, uh, it's so hard knowing all the, (laughs) I think like knowing that I'm going to have to argue about it has made me like enjoy all this a little bit less. So I don't want it positioned in that kind of way, but I mean, 
I think there's undeniable chemistry between whether it's between the actors or the the characters themselves between Buffy and Spike. I think there always has been. We've seen clearly that he's been obsessed with her in some fashion or another pretty much since day one that he showed up. So watching it turn from hatred into this like twisted love, love slash obsession, I don't think is any kind of stretch. No. no, again, since we've watched them like have this like very sparkly banter for seasons now. Also, Buffy has miraculously just decided she doesn't need to kill him. Like maybe she's got a slight soft spot for him, too. And that this is a vampire who's killed two slayers and somehow hasn't right managed to kill Buffy. Like we could chalk up most of that probably to Buffy and her skills, but also like maybe they both not held back a little bit. Yeah. I guess in some in some parts of the universe that could be construed as love. But I think it's fair to say that for vampires, that could be true. Could be. But, like, we've seen him, if not loving her, like, his obsession with her, he's been intrigued by her from pretty much day yeah. one. Like, we saw him filming yeah. her and, you know, a- admiring her as a fighter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they did kind of... Um, collaborate together when Angel right. was evil and all of that. And so they have had like a, a shaky not, alliance built for up, a long time. Right. They've built up a history and a working relationship mm-hmm. that mm. they don't always appreciate. I mean, we see in this episode, Buffy tries to go to Spike for help and decides that it's just a dead end. Right. You know, we saw in the last episode, Spike kind of brushing the hair of that weird doll thing <laughs> yeah. that he made. And, yeah. you know, like... He's not aware right. of it until this episode, but he's been, his feelings have been yes. shifted. Well, and even right before he has that dream, he does refer angrily to her like shampoo commercial hair, which yes. I just think is yes. very charming. <laughs> like That's such a good, like he says it as such a bird. And it's like, that's, you're so infatuated. <laughs> I mean, and. Right, like he thinks he's, he's like well, I, insulting her, but really he's noticing I, her nice I attributes. don't even think it's that so much. It's like, he's just so frustrated. Like, that's the only thing he can think about. He's like, he does say some actual mean things about her, but it's like, how did that slip out too? Like, you just, you don't, or you're not going to control of your feelings. Um, right. And I think that that scene was like, I get, like I said, I think they have very good chemistry on screen. I don't think it's a surprise that people end up rooting for them in some fashion. Like, that was a super sexy kiss. Twisted yeah. though it it's may be. It's not my... Favorite Buffy and Spike kiss, though. Well, so. there's so so many good ones to come. <laughs> I mean, no, there's only one that's really good. Is there? My, in okay. my mind. Well, I'm, don't spoil that for me, but... <laughs> I won't. But no, like, this is the start of... This of a whole ship community. <laughs> and I don't think it's a coincidence that it's happening while Riley's on the down... Oh. Like, the down For sure. So... And, and even that they go out of their way to kind of position them against each other in that opening scene again, where it's like Buffy is equally annoyed at Riley for interrupting her as she is for Spike. And I think that that says as much about kind of her, you know, I think it's just like a clear way to kind of put them in a similar um, right. frame. And to the show's credit, they never present Spike as an alternative no, to Riley. No, 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 no. Like, I agree. Yeah. Which <clears throat> would not, I think they recognize even that wouldn't would not work for even the most diehard shippers. But he does so, replace him yeah. as the, yeah, for the, like, in terms of shipping, I think he is going to take the place. Oh, he's <clears> the <throat> replacement, but there's no, there's no real, like, Like, there's not a, tri- not, not a love, like, there's, there's, there's no, no love overlap. triangle. Yeah. It's not a Dawson and, and Joey, I'm sorry, a Dawson and Pacey situation. <laughs> Should we only talk about Buffy th- in the, view through the lens of Dawson's Creek? 
Yeah, but who's Jed? Which one? Who's who's Joey? <laughs> Tara? No, Tara's too good for that. No, I sort of hate Joey. No. Yeah, I feel like um, Giles is probably Joey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll give you that. Oh, Tara! I think Tara can be Jen, and he's very judgy. Yeah, Tara can be Jen. She's like the sweet. It ends up being the like sweetheart of the show. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I meant sweet, comma heart, not sweetheart. But either way, so it sort of means the same thing. She's the heart of the Thank show, you. like the emotional <laughs> yes, center, yes. if you will. And I will. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, let's move on to Angel. <laughs> <laughs> what is this one about? <laughs> Untouched. <laughs> oh, I did want to mention before we move on. I'm okay. sorry. That as annoying as Riley is being in this episode, we did get to see him playing basketball, yeah. which is notable because oh, Mark Lucas, yes. I think I've mentioned before, actually played professional basketball in Europe, and um, he choreographed all the basketball scenes in Pleasantville. Yeah. He's the one responsible for yep. them all sinking like 10 shots in a row. <laughs> yeah. Really and cool. I think he's also one of the basketball players in that movie. I think you're but right. He, this is the first time on the show that he's really gotten a chance to show off his... Uh, I knew that fact, and I still so. thought, like, that seems kind of random. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think what it was I'm saying random. is I, I forgot I about like, that while I was watching the episode. I think they are like, hey, Lucas, uh, <laughs> sorry about you leaving soon, but do uh, you want some basketball? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. okay. So moving on to Angel. Mm-hmm. So Angel is still having his dreams mm-hmm. that are interfering with his sleep. We see him waking up at, like, 10 p.m., mm-hmm. <laughs> And everyone's starting to notice it a little bit more. His um, conversations with Wesley and Cordelia are, like, borderline, like, cranky tense, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so it's clearly affecting his life. But he still doesn't know quite what's going on. But in the meantime, we see our Cordelia has a vision, and Angel goes, and we see this girl being followed down an alley by these two men. But uh, in true um, Joss Whedon show fashion, mm-hmm. she turns the tables on them, and turns out she's has telekinesis powers and she crushes them with a dumpster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually pretty gory. It is, yeah. <laughs> for an angel death. And we find out, you know, um, Angel hunts her down and finds her. She's still really emotionally upset, so she actually impales him with some rebar, but of course, being mm-hmm. a vampire, he doesn't die. Um, he offers to help her. She turns him down, but he gives her his card, and she goes home, and we see that she's actually staying with one of our favorite mm-hmm. lawyers, Lila, mm-hmm. and um, which means that Wolfram and Hart probably has their eye on this girl, obviously, for some reason. Mm-hmm. But she has a dream in the middle of the night where she, basically her powers erupt, and she gets scared, and she runs off. She goes to Angel and tries to get him to help mm-hmm. her. You know, they... They don't really know what to do with her because, like, they're not experts, but they're trying to figure out what her triggers might be and all of that. And Wesley uncovers that actually her trigger is some abuse at the hands of her father, mm-hmm. sexual abuse. Yeah, at the hands of her not father. some, not just any. Abuse. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, not just any abuse. So the whole time, Angel's trying to deal with her in a you know in a nice way, trying to keep her calm, but also be there for her, but also like kind of firmly lay down like boundaries of like the appropriate relationship that they're mm-hmm. going to have. And you know, Cordelia is just worried that she's going to somehow seduce Angel yeah. or <laughs> get get in some kind of conflict with Angel. But we see her being in the hotel is actually interfering with Lindsay's project with Darla, mm-hmm. who is trying to manipulate Angel's dreams. So Wolfram and Hart um, Lila has to send goons to kind of capture her. 
they all figure out that Wolfram and Hart is behind this. And as a final straw, Wolfram and Hart sends her father to try to go get her, I suppose. Uh, I think he's the, like, ultimate trigger for her. Right. And she basically erupts and, like, takes out the entire top level of the hotel. But she masters her power. She gets control over it. Uh, Lila doesn't win the day. Mm -hmm. I guess now Darla and Lindsay are free to continue their little experiment, Um, even though the the team and Angel himself are starting to become slightly more Mm -hmm. aware of it. Find out how Darla is doing this to Angel. She has a conversation with Lila about she's using some kind of powder to keep him asleep. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of plot going on in this episode, but it's still kind of a one-off, I think. It is. And I feel like my biggest takeaway from this episode is... I yeah like it's it's a one off I don't think it's doing much in terms of the overall story arc or season arcs but it was so much better than the one offs from season 1 like it was still yes. super watchable I think the pacing was good I think the story was pretty good you, you know like again like this one isn't going to stick with me exactly but it was a very it was very entertaining and like well executed episode it was I wasn't I didn't yeah. like roll my eyes at a bunch of the scenes and like it's dealing with some sensitive matter but it wasn't one that made me you know like I, I feel like they've sort of approached similar subjects before in a in really awful ways <laughs> so I, it's just such a vast improvement I mean, it has so much to do with the cast but also clearly I think the writers are getting more comfortable about like what kind of is this show and what is this show what are the things that make Angel feel like Angel Angel the show feel like Angel the show well and it's <clears throat> pretty nuanced like this girl she's not. I mean, she is a victim, but she's not, like, completely innocent or, or even, you know, she, like, kills those men, but she's not even especially sorry Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, that's a good point. She's kind of allowed, she's allowed not to be. I think, you know, the show's not really judging her for that. And mostly, I think they give her this arc where she's expecting to have to repay Angel for his help with sex, but they, I think they do it mostly to show Angel, obviously, make the joke of, like, you wouldn't like me when right. I'm happy. And also also just to see that, like, she's interfering with the other Wolfman Hart experiments. In yeah. That way. Yeah. Like, I think that <clears throat> exists more to have her in the same room well, as Darla. Well, I, I mean, that, that, but also I think that's a pretty common fallout from being sexually abused. I think that's the other part no, that's like, absolutely. it's very consistent with the story that they're telling about her. Like even there's this whole scene where yeah. Cordelia is picking up on like kind of a weird vibe from her from the moment she set steps in the, up in the hotel, even though she's, I think on the surface behaving very much like a kind of putting on this front of being very weak and needing a lot of help that she maybe doesn't exactly need. And I think Cordelia is the first one to kind of pick up on that. So I, but all of that I think does play in consistently with that story. Absolutely probably a realistic portrayal mm-hmm. of or a certainly like one this, outcome not think, the only one but right not the not every mm-hmm. outcome but it, it is possible but it, they're using <clears throat> it to sort of right then further the story like like and i think it's actually really clever like as you were saying this is kind of a one-off that's enjoyable but i also think that the reason it's more enjoyable is there are little hints at the ongoing storyline where she comes into angel's room and she said, oh, I heard a voice in here. I thought you were right. awake. But she doesn't specify whether she heard a female voice. Right. So we don't know Angel. who she heard. And yeah. probably who she heard was Darla. And we do see that Darla has, is, in fact, Darla's still in, in the, the room. room. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think that's the unsaid thing is, like, she was probably hearing Darla, but she doesn't really either recognize it as a woman or mm-hmm. think to say that or she thinks Angel's lying to her I don't mm-hmm. know and then also you know like Lindsay's not even in this episode but right. I think seeing like the fallout throughout Wolfram and Hart of like how these how their little ploys are interacting with each other mm-hmm. is really interesting and yeah. also it's clear to us that Darla is like the number one project right now right or I suppose Angel is right but 
Um, also, they decide to start paying Gunn. Yes. In this episode. So we're bringing him further into the fold. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, sort of officially part of the group now. Yeah, so yeah. again, yeah, you're right. Like, they are accomplishing a lot with this, or at least, yeah, they're covering... There's a lot going on. I guess they're accomplishing minor things. I wouldn't say, like, a lot. Actually, the other thing that I thought was significant about this episode in terms of maybe a bigger arc is we hear Angel when he's talking to um, Bethany. Bethany's the telekinesis one. She, um, right. you know, she's clearly been hurt a lot and has doesn't have telekinesis because of that, but it's like, it, anyway, he's just basically trying to convince her that, like, everybody's not out to get you. And he says, like, almost verbatim, he says, like, oh, I actually like people. And I feel like that was kind of a big moment for him where Angel hasn't really ever said something like that before, at least not that I can think of easily. You know, we know that he's doing these things and he is a good person. You know, Angel is at least. But I think, you know, kind of watching his walls come down very slowly over the course of the show is definitely happening in this episode. Right. Like he likes people and that he thinks that they're worth saving. I don't think he would say have would have said something like that to someone even just a few months ago, you know, Mm -mm. even if they were in the same position, I'm sure he could have come up with some different argument to try and convince them, you know, stop hurting everybody and you can get a a handle on this. But yeah, I don't know. I thought that was telling, but yeah, I'm glad that they decided to pay gun. (laughs) It's fair. And go Cordelia for looking after him. She's still looking after him, I guess, kind of, you know, subsequent to the last episode where she decided he's kind of her charge temporarily. Not that the paying him has anything to do with that. That's just fair. Right. Like she might be arguing (laughs) to, well that, but also she might be arguing to pay him as like an incentive for him to kind of stick around. That's a good point. But I think it has a lot more to do with like, it's fair. They're asking him to do a lot. (laughs) He's doing as much work as they are often. Yeah. And there are little touches to this episode that I really like, like Angel leaning against the barrier of the apartment before because he can't come in and then falling through because the guy dies I think that's really interesting yeah well and gun I didn't actually notice this until after the episode but gun comes up with his new axe but it it looks as though it's been pieced together from a hubcap like he says that somebody made it for him but it's like and then Cordelia later makes a crack about how like we have to pay him he can't even afford a real axe it's like it's not a real axe (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's effective or it is effective because he's gonna keep it for a while but I I was like, oh, that's funny. I did not know. I had to that. read that online, but I did hear her crack about it and like, oh, that somebody said they had made it for him. It's funny. Yeah. I also really liked the the visualization of her powers. Yeah. Like the way I think that scene where she blows out the top of the hotel is actually really mm-hmm. well done. That her dad just says, Hello <clears throat> rabbit, and then it's like boom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how Cordelia survived that, but you know, quibbles. Yeah. I, <laughs> I yeah, I guess I don't really have too much to say about this one. I mean it's not bad. I don't have a lot to say about it not being mm-hmm. good. I think it's just sort of a... It's kind of a... Like, I think we're still supposed to be getting used to the new status quo, right? Of yeah. Like guns around, maybe not even necessarily for any particular reason, just to be around. Wolfman Hart is continuing to be set up as the big bad of this mm-hmm. season as they're using Darla to manipulate Angel. Yeah. And we're still not even really sure about Darla's motivations here, right? Like, because we see her brought back at the end of the last season. No clue what's going on. Scared. Mm-hmm. We don't even know yet if they brought her back as a vampire. Right. That's a good point. And, um, <clears throat> like, if she's human or if she's a vampire. And, you know, we don't know. Is she doing this to taunt Angel because she's mad that he killed her? Mm-hmm. Or is she doing it because this is just Darla and she enjoys playing mm-hmm. with him? If she's not a vampire, it's a really interesting question of, like, 
how much of Darla the vampire was the vampire right. or Darla the human because there's really no distinction. And we've never really right seen now. her in her previous life. I'm not sure that we really do no. much. Eh, there must be an episode about it. There's some flashbacks, <clears throat> but like right now the character of Darla who might be human and Darla vampire seem exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of putting another lie to the, the story, you know, that, oh, a vampire takes over your body, mm-hmm. but it's not you. Like, okay. Well, I will say or point out, too, that this episode was directed by Joss Whedon, which is a little bit of a random one. Really? <laughs> yeah, I saw his names mm-hmm. in the opening credits, and then I was like, oh, okay. But I think that probably has something to do, too, with the way that, like, that's probably why, like, you're saying that you liked some of the visualizations. There are actually two, like, there were some pretty cool action sequences in the middle of this when Wolfram and Hart tries to kidnap Bethany and Cordelia, and Cordelia tries to stop them, and Angel successfully gets her back on this, like, cool car jump, you know, like a little action sequence in there. I thought that stuff was pretty exciting yeah. to watch. It's just well-paced. And, again, I... I feel like I'm not, because uh, I'm broken. We're both broken records about just being really big fans of Cordelia. But like, I really, really liked her having this heart to heart with Bethany. And then, as soon as somebody comes, like Cordelia is so quick on her feet to like throw hot, her hot coffee in some guy's face to try and get away from them. I was like, that is some smart thinking, Cordelia. Also, yes, that for sure. But also, her speech to Bethany is, I think, really well balanced. Where she's basically straight up saying bluntly, mm-hmm. like. Hey, don't sleep with my boss. And she's not really telling her why that could be really dangerous, but I think she's saying it for her and for the whole, for everyone involved, like, it's just better, just don't do that. Right. (laughs) But then she's also saying, like, I'm not saying this because I don't like you. I actually do like you. And I think that you killing those guys was fine. It's fine. Yeah. Like, like it's, it means that you're dangerous, but I think that there's, she's not like, she's not going to lose sleep. Losing any sleep over the fact that she, like, murdered these guys. But then she's immediately, like, willing to, like, defend mm-hmm. her you know so I think like Bethany shouldn't have any indication of like Cordelia is not gonna like mince words with her but she's also on her side yeah, I agree so yeah and you're right that that was a good way of showing that kind of both at once yeah um like she's giving her a talking to but also immediately defending mm-hmm. her so. and yeah and definitely giving her a talking to out of like more so out of pre- preservation for everybody else because like it's just so dangerous to risk something happening with Angel but again I mean like right I think we know that, like, probably nothing would come of it, but still. And I did think Angel saying, you won't like me when I'm happy is a pretty good line. <laughs> yeah. I also liked Cordelia referencing her uh, knowing what it feels like to be impaled. With yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay. Well, that's all I got to say about that. Same. So next week we've got... No Place Like Home. No Place Like Home. That one will be exciting. Uh-huh. An episode called Dear Boy. Okay. I see Darla in a screen um, cap. Don't know what happens. I'm assuming it's Darla because dear boy is what she calls mm, Angel. True. So maybe this is the one where Angel finally figures out what's happening. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's see. In the meantime, do you have any <laughs> pop culture recommendations other than agreeing with me over set it up? Oh, well, I have to say it took a it took a while for me to get into it. I didn't really like the beginning. There is a particular scene in an elevator that I did not enjoy. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, yeah, this, that was, a, that I was, think I think the low necessary. point of the movie. Um, but I thought the ending, like once they really got into like, what is the story that you're telling here? I really, really liked, I liked, I liked the, the conclusion a lot. And I liked the, I liked everything from the middle on. And I obviously liked the leads and was rooting for them. Did not realize until I looked it up, even though I did know this, I, I kept thinking the whole movie, how much the lead girl looked like Ellen Page. And I was like, oh, who's this like Ellen Page knockoff? And then I realized it was Zoe, Do- Zoe Deutsch. 
Du- I'm not actually sure how to say her last name. Um, but yeah, I don't know how she. But she's that. the yeah. girl who's <laughs> one of the lead characters in Vampire Academy. <laughs> she's the main yeah. girl. I was, I, and her mom is <clears throat> Leah Thompson. Oh, I didn't know that. Anyway, but yeah. I thought she was really charming. I liked the guy, and I mostly just thought it was like a nice. Like it's been a, even shows that are in theory set in the modern day that are like about office life in New York tend to be very far fetched. And like, not to say that this one wasn't somewhat far fetched, but it was a lot more like, <laughs> like some spoilers. If you haven't seen it, like maybe you don't want to hear this, but like at the end of the movie, the guy is out of work. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> There's like a lot of reference to him to being a 28 year old assistant. And then at the end to him being a 28 year old temp worker. And I was like, that feels very, legitimate <laughs> is not glamorous no and i liked lucy lou she was great and I, again i mean I everyone liked was her. great i mean tay diggs is playing an yeah. asshole but he's great <laughs> it's not did not go where i necessarily thought it was going to go or maybe wanted it to go but i yeah uh so the guy who the the other lead the guy um he was up for the role of goose's son in the top gun sequel <laughs> that they're making okay <laughs> <laughs> and he he lost out to uh, Miles Teller. Okay, which interesting. Honestly, feels like a win for this guy yeah. because and I a mean, lose for Miles just, Teller. Is that what happened to his? What's happened to his career? <laughs> I mean, like I personally, like he, he seems like kind of a douche. So he seems like an I don't incredible really care what douche. To his career. I don't, yeah. but I feel like he's very talented. But I feel like he has the ego to go head to head with Tom Cruise. Well, so fair enough. Yeah. Ugh. Also, I hate Top Gun. <laughs> also, why are they remaking Top Gun or yeah. making a sequel? No one no. asked for it. Like, the idea of Tom <clears throat> Cruise still flying jets in the Navy is ludicrous. So, yeah, whatever. I feel like Tom Cruise is just going to remake all the movies that he was in as a kid or mm-hmm. as a young actor to try to mm-hmm. just keep tricking himself that he's still young. Anyway, that's not a pop culture recommendation it's at not. all. <laughs> Don't watch Top Gun. <laughs> That's my yeah. recommendation. I mean, there are a few scenes in Top Gun that are worth are viewing, there? but like generally speaking, the movie Ugh. is not good. I didn't see that movie the first time until I was in college, and I, it did nothing for me. <laughs> I, yeah, but perhaps uh, that's because by the time we were in college, I did Tom recently watch, ruined, so. watch watch an old Robert Downey Jr. movie called Only You. <laughs> so my friend is just on a. I got. I must have talked about this too. Sorry, we've only we're recording these last two episodes very close together, and now I'm like my whole world is blurring because I'm like not sure what we talked about last time. Also, we talked for a long time not recording last week, so I don't know which things I said like on air and like which <laughs> things I just said to you. Anyway, it, it's not like a great movie. It was a very '90s rom com, and he stars opposite Marissa Tomei, who kind of plays an idiot, which is like Marissa Tomei is also very charming. Almost as charming as as charming as Robert Downey Jr. Maybe they're very good like opposites, but it's just a it's it's oddly dated. Um, but that said, it was pretty fun to watch if you're in the mood for something very vintage. It doesn't make any sense. No, the only <clears throat> the only vintage Robert Downey Jr. movie that anybody should be watching is Heart and Souls. <laughs> I've never because, seen that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is one where Robert Downey Jr. plays a man who is born at the exact time of this like bus crash in San Francisco. Okay. And the four people on the bus die, but then their souls basically get attached <laughs> to this newborn baby. Oh God. And so when he's like a baby, he sees them and like as he grows up, he kind of convinces himself that they're not real. So they sort of like fade away, but they don't go away. He just can't see them anymore. I think we were talking. Okay, so then- my friend had also recently watched this movie because I said that sounds like Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> 
No, so then they they see him like basically ruining his life. So they decide that they really got to make him see them again, and they like step in and like he like you know rebonds with his like guardian angels, and then he has to help them figure out like how they can move on. And so one by one, he has to help them kind of like complete their like life's mission or whatever. And it's crazy. It's got like Kira Sedgwick and like Alfre Woodard and like. I forget who the men are, but it's really good. And it takes place in San Francisco. So now mm, I really mm-hmm. like watching it because I like point out all the places that I recognize. Oh, yeah. This one had uh, Bonnie Hunt in it. She plays the like girl in Jumanji. She was very she was yes. very good in the movie. She was actually the most watchable part of the whole thing. Sorry. I'm sure she was in other things. She is, but, but that's... Yeah, I remember her as the girl from Jumanji. <laughs> she was a great, like, um, best friend character. So I guess Heart and Souls is my pop culture okay. recommendation. <laughs> I'm not exactly so. recommending only you, but if you're really in the mood... If you know what you're getting yourself into when you say, this weird, dated 90s rom-com featuring Robert Downey Jr., then you will like it. If, you, if that doesn't mean anything yeah. to you, then don't watch it. <laughs> it is a 90s Robert Downey Jr. movie marathon brought to you by Once More with Commentary. <laughs> uh, the funniest part about watching this movie is that at the... <laughs> the very end of the movie my friend um there's like a, a a random guy kind of shows up at the end it's like a, actually a big part of the plot but it's not super important um and it turns out that he's played by somebody that i know's father <laughs> so it was really funny oh. it was like alex came home and he was like oh my god that's so-and-so's dad and then it was like a hilarious night where we were just like texting about it we're like oh my god i can't believe it so that's fun wow except why am i like well whatever whatever anyway so if you thought Robert Downey Jr. wasn't cool until Iron Man, you were wrong. Well, and okay. all it did was whet my appetite to watch My Cousin Vinny again. So actually, I would recommend well, that to anybody who's never seen it. I only watched that for the first time a few years ago, which is kind of mind-boggling. But it's a very, very good movie. And it stars Marissa Tomei playing a much less ditzy character. Yeah, and then if you have to continue that chain of actors, then you have to watch Karate Kid. <laughs> yes, and then Goodfellas, because Joe Pesci's also <laughs> yeah. in it. I mean, that movie's not going to lead you home alone. That movie's not going to lead you astray. <laughs> that's, a, that's a segue <laughs> into a great movie night. <laughs> Isn't Andy Griffith in that, too? Um, I don't remember. Or am I getting him confused with another old white actor? I don't actor? think so, but I could be wrong. Probably. I forget who plays the judge. I don't think it's Andy Griffith, um, but I might be wrong. I don't think it's Andy Griffith. Yeah. I was like, and then you can go watch Matlock. But no, that's not. <laughs> not where that's going to go. And on that note. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this week, uh, Team Graham. Okay. Because he says some hard truths. Well, he got Riley help. Okay. I'm going to be Team Harmony. Oh, that's fair. Because <laughs> she steals every scene that she's in. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Graham saves the day and Harmony's there for laughs. So. <laughs> all, good, all good for me. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Okay. Sounds good. We are recording this ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, you guys didn't need to know that. Well, they do in case something mind and earth shattering happens and it's like, why didn't they talk about blah, blah, blah. It's like, hey. Yeah. Sometimes we pre-record these. <laughs> If they announce the Buffy reboot and we aren't on air to talk about it, we're <laughs> yeah, it's sorry. Not our we'll fault. talk about it in two weeks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll All talk right, to you uh, next. I'll talk to you well, later. Yes. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at OMWC Podcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. Commentary.com.